Good morning and welcome to Alpine Church. Uh, my name is Chris, I'm one of the teachers here. And uh, when Mark says that I am excited to teach about lust, he's not really telling the truth. Uh, it's never really an easy thing to do, but it's in God's Word, amen? And so we don't shy away from difficult things when it comes to the Word of God. Uh, he, he uses His Word to, to, uh, to strengthen us, to challenge us, to convict us, uh, to give us the right way of living, and so we uh, want to honor Him in that. And so today what we're going to do in the second week is we're going to break, uh, break through in, into Scripture in Matthew chapter 5, and, and we're really going to see exactly what God has in store for us. You know, I think this series is really, uh, it's important today because we really live in a culture and a context uh, that has really kind of made sexuality uh, kind of whatever feels good, do it with whoever, whenever, however, right? And that's just not at all uh, what God has intended for it to be. And so today as we dig into uh, God's Word, we're going to see Jesus teach uh, something very, very powerful. Uh, you know, we're going to see him uh, really kind of taking uh, what was once told or what was once in Old Testament law, and he's going to bring into fruition or into a more robust understanding of what his audience would know. Again, we, we need to really understand the culture and the context that Jesus is teaching here to. Matthew is writing to a very Jewish culture who is rooted in Judaism, and so they're very well rehearsed on the, 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 the book of the law, uh, the law of Moses, the Old Testament commandments. And so when Jesus is coming to teach something, uh, maybe in addition to that or more robust, you can uh, kind of see like, hey, wait a minute, we know all of this already. Are you changing things? But we know, obviously, that that's not the case. If you were with us last week, uh, remember what Jesus said. He said, I didn't come, right? I didn't, I, uh, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. No, I come to accomplish their purpose. And so what Jesus is saying is that everything that you have heard, that you've been taught, that is all from God. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you how I am going to accomplish that, how I am going to help you understand this new way, this new robust way of living. And he says, he says, no, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. And so what we've uh, kind of been pointing to really is that the law, the, the purpose of the law, really is pointing forward to the way of Jesus. And so when we look at this series, The Jesus Way, we're going to see that Jesus was very powerful. In fact, he was Emmanuel, God with us. And so when he speaks, he speaks in authority. He is giving an authoritative understanding of what the Old Testament law was and now how he is going to accomplish its purpose. Its purpose. So again, if you were with us last week, uh, we talked about uh, murder really kind of being the underlying uh, idea of anger, right? And today we're going to talk about radical purity. Now I want to start, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew chapter 5 uh, in verse 27 and 28. That's really where we're going to be kind of uh, dissecting the passage. And it says this on radical purity. It says, you have heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, before we jump into the message today, I, I want to make something very clear. 
there is no sin, uh, even sexual sin, there is no relationship that's too broken, there is uh, nothing that we have ever done or have experienced or have been a part of that is too big for our God. I want us to know that right now. And God, he loves us so much that he doesn't want to see us in the brokenness of that sexual sin, right? In a room of this size, in some way, shape, or form, many of us have been impacted by some sort of sexual sin. But the heart of Jesus in this teaching and everything that he did was to point us to forgiveness, to point us to restoration, to renewal, to point us to hope. He's our living hope. Right, and so uh, if you're in here today or if we're in here today and something has happened or if there's been something that has impacted us in a way, God doesn't want us in a spirit of fear and judgment and shame and condemnation. What he wants is to forgive us and to restore us and to make us new. And so with that understanding, as we go through this passage, would we hear the heart of God? And would we see that Jesus teaches on these subjects because it's a big deal, And so when Jesus says something, we need to understand how important it is, and we need to apply it to our lives. So with that understanding, I think really in this passage, we can kind of pull out three things, uh, three ideals uh, for us today. And the first is this, very, very, very simple. Adultery is just the tip of the iceberg of lust. You see, we, we see adultery as this grievous sin, and it is a grievous sin. In fact, Scripture talks about how grievous it is and how, how big the consequences are. But we look at one action, and what we miss is that it's not just the action, it's everything that leads up to that action. Have you ever seen an iceberg in real life? Like, when we look at the iceberg, we're really kind of taken away by how big it is on the outside, isn't it? It's pretty, pretty amazing. But when we look at what's underneath the surface, I mean, this is, you know, some a hundred times bigger than what we see above the surface. And I think this really paints a good understanding of this first point when we look at this idea of adultery. You see, when Jesus is, when the Old Testament law is commanding against adultery, and when Jesus is talking about it, he's saying, absolutely, on the surface, that's something that we can see. But let me give you a more robust understanding of what I'm trying to teach you. What I'm trying to teach you is that it's more than just the action. It's a list, it's an a, 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 a accumulated amount of things that have happened underneath the surface that has led to this action. You know, I don't think those of us in this room who are married or who have been married, I don't think we wake up one day and say, I'm going to purposely, intentionally today go out and ruin my marriage, Right? What happens is over time, things begin to happen, uh, you know, whether it's sin, whether it's, you know, relationship problems, whatever, it leads to something bigger. And the action of that is bigger because of what is going on in the surface, underneath the surface. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to say here. You see, I think we come to adultery and we say, well, yeah, I mean, that's a grievous sin, but I've never done that, so I can just check that off the list and move on. Well, what Jesus is saying, it's more than that. He's saying that, that the, the problem is what leads into it. It's the lust. It's all of the things that we engage in. You see, we live in a culture that says uh, much different than what God's Word says about sex. Now, and I want to make it clear here today that sex in the confines of marriage is a gift from God. 
I mean, we read about it in Scripture. In fact, if we go all the way back, when God created heaven and earth and everything in it, his most prized creation was man, right? And he saw that man was alone, said, that's not good. I'm going to bring woman in. And all of us who are married say, amen, right? Amen. And and what what he does, he, he does something very powerful. It says, he blessed them. He blessed them. So what we need to understand, that it's a blessing from God, that he says, then now go ahead and be fruitful and multiply. He's saying that sex in the confines of unity in marriage is a good thing. And it's also a very, very powerful thing. A powerful thing that this would be the vehicle that I am going to populate the world with. And you see, again, in our culture, it's, oh yeah, it's, it's free, you know, with whoever, whenever, however, Right? But in reality, God's saying, no, there's something very, very powerful when two unite into one. In fact, Jesus himself said this in Matthew chapter 19. He said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And here's what I want us to understand. This is a picture, God and Jesus painting a picture that we were designed to be intimate human beings. We were created to long for and to desire intimacy. And so here's what happens. What God makes as perfect, sin enters the world and destroys everything. And so a God-given blessing and desire distorted by sin then impacts who we are, specifically sexual sin. What this says is what God has created as something great, I now make it a selfish thing. I now make it about me. I now, I now you know, turn you know, what should be intimate in between marriage to, to, to be lust-filled with whoever I want it to be. And, I, and here's what I want us to understand. I think the enemy does this on purpose, and I think he starts at a very, 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 very young age. <laughs> You know, we, we have this thing called the internet, right? And we have access to it, these phones. Back when I was growing up, we had a pager. Anybody remember what a pager was? Yeah. Call me. I was like, and then you go get a pay phone. That was really weird times. But now, we have these things called phones. And we have instant access to the internet. And do you think the enemy, he knows how to use that, doesn't he? You know, my, my son, um, one of my sons, he was eight years old and he was on my mother-in-law's cell phone, and there was this game that they played called Would You Rather. I don't know if you've heard of this, um, but it's like there's two images that pop up, and it says, would you rather have this or would you rather have that? You click it, it goes to the next one. Would you rather wear this or would you rather wear that? Click on it, it goes to the next one. Well, after five, six, seven clicks, this game or this app led him, my eight-year-old son, to full-blown pornography. And let me just tell you how devastating it was for a father to have to help his son understand pornography and how the enemy wants to destroy something that is good. This is something that I'm sure will impact my son for the rest of his life. And let me tell you the truth. The enemy knows what he is doing. So much so that pornography is a $97 billion a year industry. Friends, that's a lot of money. (laughs) $97 billion. 30% of the internet, 30% of the vast thing we call the interweb, the internet, is consumed with pornography. 90% of of teenage boys under the age of 18, 60% of teenage girls, it isn't just a boy thing, I promise you that, 90 and 60% have accessed or has seen pornography by the age of 18 years old. 
And listen, we have this, this thing in front of us that every scroll numbs us to what's okay and what's not okay. We have all of these applications that say, this is okay. And, and all, of our, all of our kids and, and all of the world and the culture is saying that this is just okay. But friends, let me tell you what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that sexual intimacy is meant for marriage. And we need to take it seriously because if we don't, the Bible says that something Something so powerful happens, we become united as one. And the enemy knows this, and so the enemy wants to distort what God has made to be perfect. And here's what happens. This leads to things like lust, where we begin to objectify people. We begin to see things in a different light. We begin to make it about us. We begin to do things on a selfish perspective, because the enemy is distorting a God-given desire that is wired into our DNA so that he can destroy us, so that he can lead us away from God. And there's no doubt in my mind that he uses this as one of the most powerful things that God created. The enemy uses this to destroy our relationship, not only with, with our spouse and with other people, but also with God. And so when we begin to understand this, when we begin to understand uh, this part of the scripture where it says, listen, you, you've heard it said that you must not commit adultery, but I think you need to understand something even more. I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in, the, in his heart. Jesus was saying there's more than just the action. There's more that lies underneath the service. That's, there's more that's going on in here, and you have to protect yourself. You have to guard yourself. And one of the ways you do that, I believe, is you look at Scripture and we see uh, really what our next point is, this pattern, this pattern of sexual sin and, and how it always follows this pattern. And so here's the pattern that I think that it follows. It starts with our eyes, it goes to our heart, and it leads to action. You know, you know what's interesting? I, I don't think this is just, this just has to do with sexual sin. I, I think this has to do with a lot of sin in general. Um, about once a year, I start to feel like I'm not really eating well, and I feel like I've gained weight, so I diet once a year about. So I'm, I'm pretty good at, at dieting once a year. And isn't it so funny when you start to change the way you eat that you start seeing food everywhere? Isn't that just so weird? Like maybe subconsciously, like you see all of the things on TV you know, uh, Burger King Whoppers are like one of the things that, that's like one of my downfalls. Like, and it's not great food, but, but I swear I see every single Burger King infomercial when I'm dieting. And here's what happens. I see that, and then I somehow always take the pattern when I drive to go by every Burger King, right? So what I see with my eyes then is part of my heart and what I want. And then the next thing I know, I find myself in the drive-thru ordering a BK Whopper, right? Like, and not only a Whopper, but then I also get a root beer and large fry. I mean, I, and that's what happens. And you see, I mean, I think, okay, it's, it's funny, but here's what I want us to see. If we take a step back and we begin to look at sexual sin, there's this pattern. And the enemy uses this. What we see goes into our hearts and then eventually comes to the surface in action. Listen to what Jesus says here. He shows us this pattern in, in verse 28. But I say, anyone who even looks with our eyes, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is saying that our, our eyes lead us to sin. 
And so knowing that, how then do we protect ourselves? Well, I believe one of the greatest ways that we can protect ourselves is by putting God's word on our heart. By putting the word of God, his direction, his desire, his love for us on our hearts. You know, it it talks a little bit about this uh, in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers. It says this in, in chapter 15, verse 37. Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Throughout the generations... To come to, you, uh, to, to come to you must take tassels for the hems of your clothing and attach them with a blue cord. When you see the tassels, you will remember and obey all the commands of the Lord instead of following your own desires and defiling yourselves as you are prone to do. You see, this has been going on since the very beginning. And, and what, what he was saying is, listen, this is what I want you to do. Go ahead and put these you know, blue or purple garments so that as you see that, you would remember the ways of the Lord. Now, I don't think many of us are gonna go and do that. It's probably not fashion savvy today. But what we can do is we can put the word of God on our hearts so that when we are overcome with the things of the world, we begin to remember, no, God's placed this on my heart. God has, he's given me this as a way to protect myself, a way to protect my relationship, a way to protect my eyes, right? And then, and then when we have God's word, we can go to passages like Proverbs chapter four. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following even. You know what he's saying? Is point your face straight ahead. Look up to Jesus. And don't get sidetracked by the ways of this world because the world will do everything it can to defeat you. Not only in sexual sin, but it'll draw you away from who God wants you to be. And then you can even go away further, a a, a step further. Job 31.1, I made a covenant. I make a covenant with my eyes that I will not, Look, at, uh, look with lust at a young woman. You know, I think there's so many ways that we can do this. We can um, have a mentoring relationship, guys, where we invite people in our life to hold us accountable. One of my best friends, I mean, he lives in, in Texas. I mean, I get texts and phone calls from him all the time. How are you, how are you doing? How are you living? You know, how's your marriage? You know, are you, are you staying pure? Like, I have someone in my life that holds me accountable. I also have my wife that holds me accountable, right? It's doing things to protect ourselves finding ways that we can guard our eyes. After our eyes are affected, he then moves into the next, to our heart. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, friends, when temptation moves from our eyes to our heart, we're in trouble. And the reason why we're in trouble is because the heart is everything it fuels and feeds everything about, of us, about us, both physically and spiritually. And so if we are, if we are moving from temptation to, to then to our heart, it then becomes every part of us. In fact, again, in Proverbs, we read, guard your heart above all else. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And you see, if we move from temptation into our heart, be careful, be careful. What we need to understand is that we are to protect and to guard our hearts. And if we don't, it leads into the kind of the final part of the equation, which is our actions. I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And James said it this way, these desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow, 
What does it do, friends? It gives birth to death. Any sin that we allow to be a part of our lives, that we allow to fester and to grow, any sin, the Bible says that that sin leads to death. And so when we come to this idea of sexual sin, it's no different. Those sexual sins, if we allow them to happen, it will always, 100% of the time, lead to death. And that is exactly what the enemy wants for us. You know, I think it's super important for us to understand, like, when we come to this, this impacts all of us. Our culture allows this to impact all of us. And we need to understand that Jesus' way is different than the way of the world. And when we do, it can impact our relationships, the way we view other people, the way we view our marriages, the way we view sexual intimacy within the confines of marriage. And then it allows us to take the next step. Maybe that's confession. Maybe that's asking for forgiveness. Maybe that's saying, God, I need you to do what only you can do in my life. It's saying, God, I want to put you first. And as I do that, as I do that, I can begin to learn to protect my eyes, protect my heart, and to not let it lead into action. And so when we, we understand those things and, and that Jesus is the one who can break the pattern in our life, and we say, God, I'm sorry, God, I'm ready to move on. Well, here's what Jesus says. This is what we need to do. The Jesus way says this. You have to, uh, to radically do something different. You have to radically eliminate the threat. Now, I'm a, um, I worked at a golf course for about 10 years, and I absolutely love a green grass with perfectly manicured lines. Anybody else super OCD about your grass? It's just me. Awesome. I love it. Like, Saturdays, most people, they don't want to mow their lawn. I'm like up and ready to go because I want to see a really, really good lawn. I think in heaven I'm probably going to mow your lawn, and I'll probably do it for free. Honestly, I, I love it, and I hope it's on a big old Jacobson, like a fairway cutter. I mean, and I just put my headphones in. Maybe it's me and Jesus just hanging out while I'm mowing your lawn. I don't know what's going to happen, but Here's, here's what happened. I think God realized how much I liked, a lawn, liked my lawn because last year he allowed that lawn to get diseased. Now, there, this thing happened. It's called necrotic ring. Anybody ever heard of necrotic ring? It's like a big circle where it dies and there's big circle patches all over your yard. And for someone who loves their yard as much as I do, when you walk out or you drive out of the driveway and you see those rings, it's really devastating. It's super devastating. Listen, I tried everything. I tried fertilizer. I tried less water. I tried more water. I scoured the internet. I, how do I fix this disease? Well, let me tell you what worked. I had to cut out that entire portion of our grass and resod it. The only way I was able to get rid of the disease in the lawn was to completely eliminate it. And, and, and you know, what's so interesting about this is that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, if you have this disease in your heart, if you have this sin issue, the only way for you to overcome it, number one, is to come to me and allow me to forgive you. But number two, you have to begin to remove that from your heart. You have to begin to eliminate the threat. And this is how serious he is. Listen to what he says. If we go now into verse 29, he says, if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. He says this, and if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body 
to be thrown into hell. Now, th- this is very radical, and I think that Jesus was doing this on purpose. Now, I don't think that we should go out and gouge our eye and cut off our hands. I, I don't think that's uh, at all what's going on here. I think it's kind of figurative language that he's using. I think we all can agree on that. But he's doing it in a very, very serious way. And the reason why he's doing it, because he knows the importance of it. Because if we don't eliminate the threat, or if we leave sin, whether it's sexual or not, whatever sin in our life unchecked, as it says in God's word, it leads us to death. And so Jesus is saying, do whatever it takes in your life to eliminate the threat. That might mean that we have to get rid of our phone and go back to the pager. I don't know. That might mean that we have to cut the internet. That might mean that we have to confess our sin to someone. That might mean that we have to do something that's going to be very difficult, that might cause pain in relationship, that might cause pain in my life. But if we don't eliminate the threat, the enemy will use it over and over and over and over again, and he will destroy us. And so the Bible says, Jesus says, eliminate the threat. Cut it out. Get rid of it because it's it's greater to feel the, the pain of something in the temporary than to have something impact you eternally. You see, I think for many of us, we're afraid. We're afraid of what it entails. We're afraid to have the conversation because we know the details of what that's going to come out. So, so we just are trapped and we're overcome with it in our life. But here's what Jesus is saying. Bring it to the surface and let me heal you and restore you. Let me do what only I can do in, in your relationship or in your life or in your sin, I will forgive you and I will make you new. But you have to eliminate the threat. You have to be willing to do the difficult thing to eliminate it from your life. And, and you know, there was this, uh, when I was growing up, there was these things called WWJD bracelets. Anybody remember those? My son actually, he's, he found one and is starting to wear it. And, and I, I remember when I would wear that bracelet like every time I would look at that bracelet in the midst of my sin, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, I sinned. <laughs> what would Jesus do? Well, he wouldn't do that, right? And so, I mean, I think there's something very powerful about a reminder of the Jesus way. You know, what would Jesus do in this situation? What would Jesus watch? What would Jesus do in my marriage? How would Jesus forgive? You know, what would Jesus do at school on that test when I'm cheating? I don't know, whatever it might be. What would Jesus do? Now, I think the most important thing is to remember that once we understand that the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ, it begins to change the way we think, the way we do things, the way we interact with people in our marriages and our friendships, relationships, whatever it might be. And we would say, Jesus, what would you do? And how do I point my way to you? How do I honor you in my way of living? Colossians, we'll end with this. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. And three, it says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ. Friends, if you, have, if you have experienced a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have asked him to be the Lord of your life, the Bible says that you have been made new. And so what we can do once we've been raised to new life with Christ, we can then begin to change the way we think. Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven These things on earth, they're so temporary and so fleeting when we remember what's awaiting us in heaven, a relationship in eternity with Jesus Christ, not to think about the things of this earth or what culture tells us is the right way. It says, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. You know, we can die to the ways of the world and we can say, God, I want to go your way. And when we do, 
It changes everything about us, the way we view sexuality, the way we view marriage, the way we view work, life, whatever it might be. We then understand it's the Jesus way. We live the Jesus way. And wherever you're at in this room today in your walk with Jesus Christ, here's what I want you to know. God is waiting for you to take the next step. And you might be a seasoned Christian in here. You're living to honor him. Would you say, God, would you help me go to the next level in that relationship? Maybe you're here today and you are stuck by the weight of your sin. And the enemy is using that and he's twisting and he's telling you you're not worth it. He's telling you that you're never going to overcome it. He's telling you that it's too much, it's too big. Well, here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am ready. I stand at the door and knock. When you open up the door, I will come in and have a relationship with you and I will change you and I will love you and I will forgive you and it will impact every part of your world. Would you live the Jesus way? If you're ready to do that, I would love to share with you how easy it is. I know Pastor Mark, uh, Pastor Jason is here, our youth pastor. We would love to share with you how to take the next step in your relationship with God.